Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Live for Friday, August the 11th, 2017. I'm Rob Zinkin. I serve as Associate Vice President for Marketing at Indiana University. And yes, it's that time of year. Of course, fall semester right around the corner, but not meaning that today. It's that time of year for the annual e-expectations results. And very excited to take a deep dive into those today to better understand what college-bound high school students and their parents want from your institution, my institution's digital recruitment marketing resources. A reminder that Marketing Live is part of the Higher Ed Live network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. We invite you to be a part of our live broadcast. Let us know what e-expectations questions you have and participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using the Higher Ed Live hashtag. All of our episodes are free, easy to access in the archives at higheredlive.com, or you can take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that produce real results. The third annual myth-busting survey sponsored by Higher Ed Live, NRCCUA, and M. Stoner is underway. This year's focus is myth-busting enrollment marketing, what do you believe to be the best marketing channels and communications preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens' perceptions of your institution? We want to know. The survey will take you about 15 minutes to complete, and we'll be tweeting out a link right now for you to do so. This episode is also sponsored by Omni Update, the makers of OU Campus. Behind every great website is a great CMS, and OU Campus is the most used and most loved web content management system in higher education. Well, I'm pleased to introduce Stephanie Geyer, who is Vice President for Web Strategy and Interactive Marketing Services at Ruffalo Noel Levitz. And I think her unofficial title is the queen of e-expectations, as I'm sure many of you <laughs> have seen her present e-expectations at a conference or perhaps seen her on Higher Ed Live in previous years. So she is uh, here today, super excited to go through this with you. Stephanie, welcome back to Higher Ed Live. Rob, thank you so much. That was a very kind and uh, generous introduction and queen of e-expectations. Um, can I have a sash? If I get a sash, I'll take it. Okay, we will, we will figure that out <laughs> one way or the other. You deserved it, no question. <laughs> thank you. Well, this research... Well, I, I appreciate no, please go ahead. I was going to say, I appreciate the chance to share it with you. And um, you're evoking the season of e-expectations. I just posted about e-expectations season in a, a new website resource that we've just created for the survey and results. And, and for you, our, our friends out there trying to figure out what to do with your websites, with social, with paid. So, um, at time of year, not just because my birthday is next month, but I think that having this fresh data, just as we're beginning to think about uh, the new class rolling in and thinking about class of 18 and 19 and beyond, um, it's, it's just wonderful. So glad to be here with you. Great. Well, let's, let's jump right in. And I suppose before we do jump into the results, it might be interesting, especially for anyone who may be new to e-expectations, the fact that this research program is in its 12th year and has become such a key resource for the higher ed community. Tell us a little bit about the background for, again, those who may be new, uh, any background info, how the research has evolved over the years, a little bit about the methodology before we get into results. Absolutely. Um, it, I, it's stunning to me that it has been that many years, although I can't remember a time without it. So I don't know what that says about me. But um, we were sitting around a conference table at then Noel Levitz um, many years ago, and I was I was getting peppered with questions from our senior leadership. You know, what about um, Live Journal? What about MySpace? <laughs> That's how long ago we were talking about this. And um, had the opportunity to partner with NRCCUA to get out to the marketplace and ask students directly. So we started very modestly. We actually started doing telephone surveys. Now we're fully online web-based surveys. And um, 
in 12 years, we've really learned a lot. We've seen a lot of consistent themes and resources, but we are also delighted to see new trends, new assets. Snapchat certainly is a great example of that, juxtaposed against LiveJournal and MySpace. A really kind of interesting trajectory there just on the social channel. So um, we're always going after the highest end possible. And if you'd like to see that, I'll share my screen. Great. Uh, you knew it had to happen. I have PowerPoint, right? Are you seeing that okay? I'm looking at a screen that says tweeting, and uh, I'm making a little plug for my own hashtag there as well. Um, we have a number of resources and channels for you to get more data, and the eexpectations.com website is a great way to do that. Uh, you'll be seeing more and more blog posts there and webinars as well. Kareen Jolie did a really great preview for us and the bit.ly link there as well, or you can just email me if you'd like that. And I think I'm back on Hyatt Live in uh, September. So hoping to, uh, to dig in maybe in a different way than the overview I'm prepared to deliver today. But here it is. So our N uh, for students this year, we talked to 4,274 students. And the interesting thing about that group is that we were able to include sophomores. And it's really the first time we've talked to sophomores at this level in, in such a long time. Parents, we've been talking to parents every three years or so. And with parents, we also did um, parents of sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And you can see the end there as well. The volume of data that we have this year is overwhelming. Um, I'm not going to be shy. I am still swimming through it. At this very kitchen table here in my home office, um, with e-expectations strewn all about, trying to puzzle through what are the most important things, what are the things that I think you are going to care most about, and maybe even more importantly, be able to act on. So if you're like me, you kind of geek out over data, and you swim through it, and you think, well, this is interesting, and how does it connect to that? But at the end of the day, the real trick in this analysis is to come up with actionable data, you know, to go beyond the so what, that's cool, to what are you going to do about it? So I think the um, infographic that we produced right before our national conference here in Denver late last month might be the next best place to go. I think I transitioned right from introduction into the details. I hope that that's okay. But if you feel like I've left anything off the table about e-expectations genesis, happy to circle back. One thing I definitely will add is this. Every year we take questions from our market, from you. You give us ideas for new areas to explore, maybe new question formats. Um, and it's one of the most... I think important parts of this research program. I'd probably also be in trouble if I didn't reference our partners. And you did one already. Omni Update has been our longest standing partner alongside NRCCUA, as well as our friends at College Week Live. So the four entities, Ruffalo, Noel Levitz, uh, NRCCUA, Omni Update, College Week Live, partner throughout the year to gather questions, to develop the survey instrument, to support me in the analysis, and then to present. We were just at EDU Web this week uh, doing just that and have, have a couple of other spots along the way. Great. So should we dig in? Can you see, can you see my infographic? I can, I can. This is great. And uh, I appreciate that first item for you to, to kick us off because you mentioned some of the social media channels and it's uh, easy to jump into some of those, and I know we'll get to those, but uh, we often yep. have to go back and, and start with the fact that uh, the website, our website is our marketing home, and everything needs to be in order there. So very interested to see how prospective students, how parents are interacting with our websites. Yeah, um, this question actually came about through some client experience that we had uh, with the biggest public university in North America. So you all can go Googling to see if you can figure out who I'm talking about. 
but we were doing some user study work for them and uh, remote user tests where we were watching users navigate or expecting to watch users navigate through the website to uh, get to the target questions or answers that were part of our survey script. And they didn't use the site navigation. That was just shocking. At each question, we observed almost all of the users opting instead of using the site navigation to open a new browser tab and in the URL window type in um, keywords that they thought would get them to the answer, you know, such as um, financial aid details or tuition information for undergraduates, things like that. Really shocking. We, you know, in our uh, client practice, continued to observe that across other institutions facilitating user studies for them. And so we thought we'd bring it to eExpectations to see, are they really doing that nationally? And so you can see here, how do you find information on the college website? We were clear that the context was you are already looking at a college website, you're not looking at a search engine. Um, and they said, no, I'm, I'm going to go back out to a general search engine. You can see that 20% said that they would use the search tool that they might find on the site. But the largest percentage said that they would probably open up a new tab and dig in that way. So that is something that we've been thinking a lot about. Does it mean that we work harder to make our navigation more focused on prospective students, more attainable to outsiders? Um, I know a number of years ago, I think there was a community college that went this route and just put a big search cursor in the middle of their homepage and called it good for navigation, said, well, we know you're doing this. Just go ahead and throw some keywords in and we'll see if we can't dish up what you need. I don't know. I think there's something in the middle. What, how do you take this, Rob? What, what do you think? Yeah, or maybe think there's a, another question to ask. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a great point that uh, prospective students and others are coming to our websites at all different points. And it's easy to think of our institutional homepage or our admissions homepage as the homepage. And in a sense, every page is a homepage because they could be entering mm -hmm. directly there. So that's, that's one of the takeaways for us, I think. Yeah, and so I think search engine optimization across the site is really essential. Um, we think especially in the academic program page area, that corresponds to not only something that um, we continue to prove through e-expectations, but something that I learned in the past century, believe it or not, um, when I was just turning my marketing career into the higher ed channel and working with a consultant uh, from the firm that I work with now to say, you know, what, what is it that they need to know? And the top of the list is always some juxtaposition between cost and academic program array or detail. And so really focusing in on optimizing for those program pages. Mm -hmm. In another question, we won't get to it here, but in another question, we asked students and have for a number of years, you know, what are the search strategies that you use when you're looking at Google and trying to get into a college website? And very often program is a part of that. And so that implies to us very heavily that they don't want to walk through our front door. They want to go through the door for that particular program and uh, sometimes challenging for students. The other piece that I mentioned about cost we saw, and I'm just uh, conveniently going to scroll down to our third point. I'll pop back up to that paid one in a moment. But um, we asked about the influence of different digital assets. And college website was at the top for both students and parents. But financially calculator results uh, were the next highest. And I think that this is sometimes a little contentious because we have institutions that, while they're required, federally mandated, to have some kind of calculator on their site, 
aren't really comfortable with it, don't like to talk about cost, and so they bury it, uh, or it's not a particularly stellar experience. But clearly here the market is saying, you know, what influences me, the website, and then this key experience on the website. So I hope that users can take this if they're wrestling with financial aid and marketing and IT and all of the entities that have to be connected to pull off a calculator, that they can take this to say, yeah, we really do need to sort this out. We do need to come up with a viable solution. And even not making sure that it's not hidden, but as you say in the takeaway there, even to have it as a primary call to action, which I think is, is uh, not the case for, for most institutions currently. Yeah, well said. And I would say going a step further in terms of looking at your inquiry pool at inquiry sources, um, in our True Cross Calculator tool, you can actually get a user to inquire through it. And I believe that the inquiries that come through the calculator tool have to be stronger and perhaps pre-qualified in a way that more generic inquiries aren't. And so hopefully hand in glove with a, a better calculator experience, a more visible calculator call to action, as you've suggested, is on the data side, on the analysis, and on the targeting uh, and strategic communication side, that we're looking at students in our pools, inquiry and applicant, who have completed those calculators if we've been able to collect that data. So I'm going to pop back up because I think one of my favorite pieces uh, kind of in the surprise category for this year was the chance to ask sophomores for the first time about their use of paid ads. And I was really very surprised. So you can see seniors at 47%. That's been on the grow since I think probably we started asking in 2013, 2014. And it started in at around 30% and has steadily been increasing. But look at sophomores, 61% have already clicked on a paid ad. And Later in the study, when you're digging into the details, um, maybe in our next uh, partnership in the episode next month, we'll jump on this. Um, it was interesting to me to see that for all of the markets, both students and parents, um, clicking on a paid ad for a school that they hadn't heard of was really kind of at the bottom of the scale in terms of the relationship that the user had with the particular entity putting the ad in front of them. So it kind of tells me that uh, paid ads, whether it's coming through retargeting um, or, you know, just along the rail or at the top these days now with Google, uh, are really something that we need to be thinking critically about as lead generation. And also, I would say, as affirmation, working on conversion and yield in our existing inquiry and applicant pools. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, and I think the point, too, about the uh, getting the most from your ads, experimenting with gated carrots. And uh, I would be interested to see that that increase or that uh, receptivity to clicking the ads uh, in parallel with, with the increase across the higher ed sector in paid digital. Uh, more institutions are doing it, and higher ed in general is spending more on, on paid advertising. And so there's certainly more of that uh, in the marketplace. But the, the key to really empower prospective students and parents with uh, with information, content that is valuable versus simply uh, banner ad interruptions. Yeah, yeah, awesome point. And if I might, can you indulge a little rant? Go for it, yes. So here's the thing. I have occasion to look at digital marketing programs for institutions across the land. And I love it. But there's this one thing that gets me, and it's when I discover that a client is doing paid interactive marketing. That's our kind of uh, big bucket for all things retargeting, geofencing, geo uh, pay-per-click. But when I find that they are spending money, and sometimes a lot of money, uh, per click, you know, 140 bucks a click, 
And the net result for the user is that they're dropped into the institution's homepage or just some generic subpage that they could have navigated to anyway that doesn't have a clearly focused content strategy and call to action on the site. That is still happening and it hurts my heart. It needs to stop. Yes, I'm glad you made that brand. That's, that's excellent. And I'll add uh, <laughs> lots of great commentary on the back channel and encourage folks to join us, ask questions, and participate using the Hybrid Live hashtag. And I want to make note of a comment from Gil Rogers, which is right on point. The digital media can support conversion of legacy media efforts and vice versa. And that's a great point. It's something that we see across our campuses that the digital, the paid digital, those dollars work harder when there is other, uh, other paid media efforts out there that are working in concert. So thanks, Gil. Gil, great to hear from you. And yes, indeed, if you wanted to go pursuing that sash for the queen of the expectations, I'll get you my measurements right now. <laughs> um, let's see, I'm gonna scroll through a couple of other points that, um, I thought were interesting, which is why they, they ended up here on the infographic. College planning websites um, had a chance to ask parents about that and definitely um, seeing a little bit more engagement in a few other questions that connect with college planning sites for the younger students. Um, once they're in their senior year, a little bit less likely, but not completely out of the mix in looking at that. This one, I think, um, was a lot of fun to talk about in our session earlier this week and at our national conference a couple of weeks ago back in January. Um, so here, just talking about taking action on behalf of their students, especially parents of seniors, but generally what we saw was this interesting statistic. Again, I'm sorry, it's not the one that's shown here, but the one that I perhaps like even more, which is I was about, I think, 28% of high school seniors told us that their parent had completed their application or an application for enrollment on their behalf. Asked the parents that question, it went up to 62%. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy, yes. Maybe not surprising. Maybe not surprising. Um, you know, I will say parent of three kids, three daughters, one of them just about to complete college uh, and another one about to start her junior year. And the, the ones that's just about to graduate, she did not let me near her app. I did ask if she wanted me to look at it after she was done, but nope, and she did it on her own. Um, so I just want to get credit that I'm, I'm not that helicopter snowplow parent in there. I'm trying to stand back and help where I can. But I think the point here from, from point number five is that uh, parents are taking action on behalf of their students, especially as we get toward the, uh, the conclusion. And remember, or perhaps I didn't do a great job of pointing this out, we facilitated this survey in April of this year. This is so fresh. So the seniors that we're talking about are actually packing up. They're going to Target. They're clearing out the aisles of all of that great back to school stuff, getting their dorm rooms outfitted, and they're heading off. So the juniors are the ones that uh, we're all going to be working really hard to recruit. You probably have them already. But these parents are in the mix. And if you aren't inviting them, if you aren't encouraging them, if you aren't collecting their names, um, you really need to get started. Hopefully you have a parent comp flow in place for each class year, and it does need to shift and adjust based on where their student is. Um, and that's one of the deeper dives that we'll be taking this fall with all of the data that we have here. There's so much more. Yeah. Well, you said uh, actionable data, and there's certainly uh, an action or two right there that you just mentioned. So great takeaways. Good. Yay. So one of them, uh, another one was interesting for us um, was about texting. And this year, one of the new twists on the question was to ask if both parents or students would be open to receiving messages on social apps. So things like Kick or WhatsApp 
uh, were some of the examples that we had asked. So you can see in that first box uh, here, uh, generally receptive to receiving texts, both parents and students. Um, a little bit less on the social messaging app, although the younger students, almost half of the sophomores, said yes to that. Definitely lower for the seniors and parents of seniors. But then look at this, have never received any kind of text or social app message from any college. I'm surprised uh, at this, this rate. I'm not as surprised for the sophomores and juniors, but looking at the seniors, more than half said that they had never received a text message, assuming that in April they had at least applied. And I think that there were about 95% of the seniors who had applied at this point when we surveyed them. So what's going on? Why aren't we texting? I think that it's one of the kind of hidden opportunities that's out there. And, and in e-expectations this year, you'll see more detail about the kind of text messages that both parents and students want. A lot of transactional stuff, but I do still think there's opportunity to reinforce personal attention, um, making sure that the student knows that we are keeping track of their progress, we're cheering them on, we want to support them. Super, excellent, uh, another excellent takeaway. And as you said, a hidden opportunity, very surprising that more institutions aren't yeah. taking advantage of that. I, I swear, I have been ranting about this for years. It is really, gosh, if you weren't talking about getting texting started this fall, oh, don't make me come over there, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would like to come over there, let me know. Um, so another question we asked that was new, you, you know, we evoked social right off the bat and, and here it is and you can see Snapchat, Snapchat's coming up too, but um, we wanted to know how are they finding their way to an institution's social channels? That was a new question I think that came from, oh, don't ask me where, I've been on a few planes lately, um, but last year in, in the previous e-expectation season, kind of got the idea for this question out on the road. So um, those little badges and banners and, and hopefully feeds that you're doing on your website seem to be paying off getting their attention um, and getting users into your social channels. I guess my admonition there would be very often when I'm clicking on them, as I do for a lot of client institutions, um, I'm, I'm maybe taken to a really, really high-level generic account that is serving everybody. And I'm not suggesting that every institution should go after a specific admissions-related collection of accounts. It really depends on your institution type and size and staffing, what you can sustain. But um, I do think a mashup or index page is still a great idea for context, especially for students who've been looking at your stuff for a while and, and maybe do want to dig in a little further and see if there is uh, a social channel for a particular major or sport or club activity that might help them get greater context. Email is still a great channel to deliver those links as well. Sorry, Rob, what yeah, were you gonna say? I was just going to ask about email as well and, and take advantage of the opportunity to, uh, to learn takeaways uh, related to email communication. Uh, not necessarily highlighted in, in one of these in terms of surprising new facts, but at the same time as a, as a key part of the, the communications mix. Yeah, indeed. I, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know if you feel like it's surprising, but I am still saying to people, yeah, email, not dead, keep going. Um, I think that some of these kinds of things are strong indicators that it is still an essential component. It's not always as satisfying for us when we're looking at data, um, but I think that it, it will be with us for a while. So should we sneak down and look at the Snapchat? Yes. Yeah. So. Um, Kim Reed from NRCCUA was uh, delivering the social section for us in our last two presentations. Boy, is she smart. I just like her a lot. 
And, you know, we, we've been having some interesting discussions about to Snapchat or not to Snapchat. Um, and I think, again, context is really important here. So the data tells us that um, what are they using on a daily basis? Snapchat, obviously. And I see that here in my home, my little Petri dish of uh, an eighth grader and a high school junior. My uh, college girl is Snapchatting a lot too. And they all use Instagram a lot. But um, look over to the next one, the juxtaposition of what are you using every day versus where are you expecting, where, where do you think the best channels are to learn more about college and university options? And so some of the dialogue that we've been having with Kim and Gil and, and uh, folks at College Week Live and on the update about social is that are they saying Facebook because we've taught them that that's where we are? Or is it because they feel the medium is the best in delivery? Or is there something in between? And how will they feel about us entering into Snapchat? I remember very clearly you evoked kind of the genesis of e-expectations. Some of the early surveys that we asked, questions that we asked in those early surveys were, hey, would it be okay if we sent you an email? Now. I, I mean, that seems silly and obtuse um, and ridiculous. Of course, we're going to email this stuffing out of you. But that's how things go. We're always chasing our prospective undergraduate traditional markets from one venue into the next. And, uh, you know, I think that there must be something in their DNA to say, nope, here's our new place. Here's our new clubhouse. You can't come in, you grown-ups, you marketers. And then eventually we, we get in. So I think Snapchat is that place. I think that the context is, man, you got to have your ducks in a row. And you need to have a great content strategy, a good editorial plan. You need to have help in executing, but conceiving of, and then executing these particular strategies on this particular channel. Um, you know, if you're a tiny shop and you're one person doing all kinds of other marketing and web and digital activities and, oh, by the way, social media is on your back, I don't know that I'd advise you to take it on. If you've got a little more room, if you've got uh, somebody on campus who wants to partner with you and support you in doing it, then, then maybe. How about you, Rob? Are you using Snapchat on your campus? Uh, we are. We are using it um, and have a uh, during the during the school year, our students do a uh, host a daily Snapchat, essentially a newscast and um, have used it a lot for uh, for some current student engagement um, and exploring, you know, continuing to explore different opportunities for uh, for all audiences. And I, I completely agree with that Petri dish of a high school junior and a high school freshman who are on it all the time. Yeah, I um, I am often in the car with my 16-year-old driving to the horse barn for lessons or the mucking of the stall, and she Snapchats constantly, and occasionally I find her Snapchatting images of me driving to the barn. I don't know why that's interesting to anyone. I don't particularly appreciate it, but that's how it goes. So with uh, with so social I, media. I Go ahead. I was just going to ask with social media too, and, and you mentioned the, the content, and also want to give you an opportunity to elaborate that a little bit more. Obviously, uh, visuals and video and mobile, but uh, takeaways as it relates to to social media content. Yeah, um, we have we've got some data there too, and I am oops uh, trying to get myself to that. Um, it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull you back over. So bear with me while I sort out technology. Okay. Here we go. So um, just looking at content priorities, comparing parent parents versus uh, students. So parents much more practical, looking for how to pay, app requirements, qualifications. 
stuff just for parents, things about internships, but students are looking for more of the fit context. They're looking for more of a sense of place, um, kind of making their way around and fitting in. And so, gosh, does that mean that we start a social channel just for parents? But I do think as we're developing editorial calendars for uh, recruitment, we probably need to have kind of a, a, a balanced approach in positioning content that is going to scratch that itch. We know parents are looking at social channels on behalf of their student and still providing that context. And, and maybe it's also a different channel approach. We know Facebook is huge for parents and you know it's still up there for students, but if students are becoming more interested in Instagram and Snapchat, maybe that's where we emphasize the social content and maybe um, overemphasize the practical engagement content for the parents. What do you think about that? Are you buying it? I'm buying it, yeah. You're very gracious, thank you. Well, I think there's again so, there's so much um, so much to uh, to explore there, and even the the question about um, the emphasis on on photography and and video for social reminds me of of even that point in terms of imagery and what appeals to to students, which I think is always a fascinating part of this of this study each year is what we may think appeals to prospective students isn't always the case. Yeah, I'm just uh, scrolling my way over to that particular section. So thanks for the cue. I did want to, before we leave the social thing though, I did want to say, um, I was reviewing the, the Twitter back channel from earlier this week and there was some commentary about uh, somebody misquoting me saying that I thought live streaming wasn't time to do that yet. And not what I said. Um, I do think live streaming is really interesting, a really engaging opportunity. And um, if you're looking for a great example, Meredith Chapman at the University of Delaware, I think is a stellar practitioner in social media and all things digital marketing. She did a great session for us. And so if you're interested, I'll, I'll help you get the deck and you can see some really cool things she's done with her campus on live streaming. So I am not against it. I think again, it's with all things context, good editorial planning. Um, but let's get to the photo stuff because you know who doesn't like to look and while you pull that up, Stephanie, I'll, I'll ask one other question related to social. Since you, you mentioned the back channel sure. and, and some great activity and, and comments and questions on Twitter. But speaking of Twitter, and uh, Twitter obviously not, not at the top of the list when it comes to this research, and yeah. not, where, not necessarily where parents are, but still uh, a reminder that the, the importance of it in terms of the social listening tool. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I am not anti-Twitter, and in fact, I am so proud to have been a trending topic in Boston on Tuesday while we were presenting beating International Day of Cats and Bill Belichick in his own town. E-expectations rocks. But that said, I think that it's, it's a very specific channel that needs to be curated differently than Facebook certainly differently than Snapchat or Instagram. Um, still value, still opportunity, and um, I just am, we're seeing a decline in use, and I think we need to be aware of that. So uh, here are the images that we were testing in our study, and this is the first year we've done the image testing with both students and parents. And parents and students had a lot more in common than, than they disagreed on, but there was one key area where they disagreed. So these are all the images. Some of them you may recall from previous studies. We added in a dorm room um, and brought back a couple of images that were real winners or real losers in previous studies. So the students said, this is our most appealing collection. And last year, it was this image, this study group image, that was the highest rated in all the land for all the students. 
the parent, I'm sorry, the student said that these were the least appealing images. And we were kind of surprised that dorm shot just didn't go anywhere. And, and this image of the faculty member speaking to a large group uh, didn't play well, where in the past it had done okay. Now, parents, so they also liked that library image, the student in the lab coat. They liked this image of maybe a professor or TA helping out some students in what looks like a computer lab. But remember, the students also really liked that drone shot that we've been hanging on for a couple of years. And the parents said, nope, they didn't like that. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Rob, what do you make of this? Why do you think this is? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And we, uh, uh, we find it fascinating playing with different images on our, on our paid social and constantly testing what, uh, what images resonate. And um, of course, uh, I, you're drawn to the emotionally engaging student photos. And, uh, but of course, it's very hard for uh, even if they are authentic, great photos to always come across as authentic and trying to uh, set scenarios where students can envision themselves. And we're fortunate at our flagship campus in Bloomington to have one of the, the most scenic, beautiful campuses in the country. And so we leverage that in a, in a lot of different ways and, and, and try to give prospective students a sense of, of what it would be like to be there and not, not inventing or creating a scene for them to uh, uh, imagine themselves as a student, but stepping back from a, from a, from a scene and seeing how um, they could themselves individually fit into that versus saying, here's who we think you are. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I love this section of the research and I love uh, talking about the findings, but good research answers a few questions, but makes many, many more questions. And this is a great case in point. So um, it's a really hard part of a web survey to, to go after, but I just love it. So when I've talked to different groups um, about this result and, and this drone shot in particular and the parents' response to it, I had some really interesting kind of not visceral, but just um, vehement, that's the V word I'm looking for, reactions. And uh, parents um, in the room, also colleagues, looked at that and said, I can see why students like this, that it makes them feel um, excited about being on their own in this exciting, beautiful place, proximity to a city. But as a parent, I look at it and I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid to let them go. You know, maybe it's the first child leaving home. Um, maybe the, you know, they're in a very rural area and going into the city is not appealing um, and, and evokes issues of concern for their child. I don't know. I, I think that there might be something to that. How about you in your, in your, uh, in your Petri dish at home? Yeah. Did I, you have any response to this? I think that's interesting, um, and, and even just looking at what, uh, uh, as a college-bound uh, high school junior, what uh, one of my kids receives, and and those types of uh, images are the ones that that draw his attention. And again, just generally speaking, and again, we've we've tried to take advantage of those, and that's a really interesting point with with parents, and I think something for us to always be mindful of, and and ways that that perhaps drone shot can be offset for a parent audience with, with something else that, that might alleviate that concern. But we have, uh, we, we have some beautiful drone photography and have found that, that prospective students have uh, really enjoyed it and love it. Uh, and not only the stills, but the, the video as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it just gives us um, such an inexpensive way to provide that context, I think back to the early 90s when I started working, I was at Wilkes University, and we were thinking about um, thinking about hiring an aerial photographer and, and the expense that that was putting on our budget. You know, I've also then heard about institutions spending a lot of money on drones 
and having them, you know, drop into the lake right on campus. So I guess there's always some expense and cost-benefit analysis, but by golly, if you can provide this kind of sense of place, um, you know, and, and some of the other interesting video things that can be done with drones, I, I think it's worth it, I think. Um, I agree. You know, we, and we it, don't... Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to uh, agree wholeheartedly on that. And the, the sense of place point, I think, is a great one. And again, back to the, the point of empowering students, prospective students, for them to, to see that as their, their playground and all the different things that they'll get to do. to communicate visually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really important. And you'll see um, when we get the research report, we'll be coming out before NACAC, so on or about September 12th, 13th, 14th, and there um, some interesting detail about preferences uh, for photos, importance of photos, really, uh, I think, some interesting um, additional detail that you know take us days to get through all of it that we have here so i was thinking about where to go next and i'm going to um pop us up maybe bear with me so you don't have to see all of me all of the slides whizzing before you i just want to pop back up to the top of the deck because there's some really compelling things that students and parents said to us in response to qualitative uh, question. Maybe that's, I'm just looking at time, maybe that's a good place for us to kind of head out. Are you good with that, Rob? Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, here we go. Um, so students said, here's the context, uh, that uh, digital recruitment marketing resources that they've encountered so far, 50% uh, said, I'm sorry, 24% said somewhat effective or very effective and 50% said somewhat effective. And we gave them a chance to say, well, what, what could we do to improve? Um, they want us to differentiate. They want us to explain and reinforce why our institutions are different and special from those others that they're considering, what makes the school unique. Um, lots of videos and pictures, uh, always good to hear it right from the market. Truthful and practical manner. I don't want to receive lies and false hope. It seems dramatic, but I, I take the point that they're looking for straight on. Um, very wise for colleges to get on board by sending students emails. There it is. Um, but also suggesting Snapchat and YouTube videos are, are also important channels as well. Parents, um, uh, somewhat effective in the 52 to 47% range. Um, parents of younger students, perhaps a tiny bit more enthusiastic than the older ones, but perhaps have had less exposure. Um, no complicated websites. Well, that one just makes me laugh. All of higher ed is very nice. complicated in website development. I know you understand it. You're at a, a big institution and uh, we have lots of users, lots of competing uh, goals. And so, okay, we will continue to work on making websites less complicated. Um, I think that also goes to that navigation thing that we started talking about at the beginning of our time together. Parent, again, looking for step-by-step, -step, um, wanting some hand-holding, wanting to make sure that they're not missing anything as they guide their student. This is a little esoteric, but I thought it was interesting. However, I wish all schools made it possible to access the student newspaper. And it made me think, why is the parent interested in the student newspaper? I think the parent for all of the talk that they give us in this study and, and in other ways about how they want practical, just show me how to get the kid in. I, you know, they'll take care of fit. I think that they are looking for fit context and cues and clues as well. And I think maybe that's why they're interested in reading the student newspaper. Um, I thought these were interesting juxtapositions too. You know, don't overdo it with the shiny, happy students. Um, love the word cheesy here. But then also show me that my kid 
can't be a part of something. So there has to be a middle ground in there. There has to be some perfect way to depict that, to reinforce that. I think social is a great channel to do that as well. Financial aid. Remember, we talked at the beginning about financial aid um, being the most important decision, but also that the uh, cost calculators were really important to both students and parents. Um, and being very upfront about cost and making it very simple for all users to find out what it costs to attend. Consistency, um, engagement, follow through. You know, this one broke my heart about filling out a form and then never getting anything. Um, boy, that's just opportunity lost. And so we do need to make sure that we are connecting with parents, we're asking them to tell us who they are, we're communicating with them directly, we're measuring and following up. This person, you know, doesn't want the runaround anymore, wants to go, wants to go to, and I can connect with that concept too, you know, having, having a go to at my oldest daughter's um, institution who happened to be the director of admissions was really comforting for me. But not everybody works in higher ed and in recruitment marketing. And so I think ways that we can position that. Um, and another data point uh, way deep in the study, we did see an interesting difference in RFI completion where students said the best possible response was an email, just a generic email. Yeah, we got it from admissions saying what to do next. But parents more than students didn't want the generic email as much as they wanted a message from a specific admissions counselor. And I think that connects with this qualitative message as well. So I think that's probably a good point for me to take a breath and see if we have missed anything that you wanted to talk about today, Rob. Excellent, I appreciate the, the qualitative perspective as well and i know there's there's so much more and more that we could get into and additional comments and questions that came via the back channel so for those interested in learning more those who want to stay in the know as it relates to e-expectations stephanie where should they go or how should they uh, stay tuned to uh, this information and, and more opportunities to learn more yeah thanks so much i'm going to pop this back up um, just as a reminder to get on over to, let's see if that's gonna work for me, get on over to eexpectations.com um, is a great central place. It's a new website and uh, we got it up very quickly last month in time for the conference. Uh, you'll see the, a couple of the infographic is available there. There's a blog post. There's a way for you to sign up to receive notifications of future posts and future presentations. Um, eventually, we'll also have uh, other opportunities for you to interact with the data and with the team as well. So I think that's a great spot. Certainly, um, hope you'll come back and join us for the episode in September. I don't think I have a date on that yet. If you're in Hartford or if you're in Atlanta, please come see me. I love to meet folks that um, are using the data or have questions to share and um, would be just a great honor and treat to get to talk with you about your specific campus and what's going on with you. Well, wonderful. Thanks for that invitation. And thanks so much, Stephanie, for walking us through the e-expectations results. Great work as always. I think that queen of e-expectations sash is forthcoming, it seems like. So we'll look forward to seeing that too. <laughs> thanks so much. Great to be with you, Rob. I appreciate the time. You too. Thanks again to Stephanie Geyer from Ruffalo Noel Levitz. As always, thank you to M. Stoner for making Marketing Live possible. And thanks as well to Omni Update for sponsoring today's broadcast. Be sure to get reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Higher Ed Live newsletter. You can browse the video archives at higheredlive.com or subscribe to the podcast. I'm Rob Zinkin. Thanks again for tuning in to Marketing Live on the Higher Ed Live Network.